0: Beyond the Wrench with Jay Gananan from Find a Wrench.
1: Welcome to Beyond the Wrench. This is our first episode for 2021. I'm really, really excited because we get to kick it off with a bang. Uh, Two of the best in fixed ops are here with me today. They're recurring guests, people that have been on before, And uh, I'm really, really excited to welcome Tolly Williams and Ed Roberts to the podcast yet again. Welcome, guys.
0: How are you? Doing great. Thank you, Jay, for the invite. And I am so honored, just so you know, honored and privileged to be with the most magnificent boy, my friend, Ed Roberts. The top pick of 2020 on Automotive News. Wow, is all I have to say about that.
2: That's a, a second of intro there. I'm not sure if I deserve all that, but uh, <laughs> I am honored to be here in the presence of you two. This is uh, this will be fun. Well, so Ed,
1: tell us a little bit about this uh, this Top Thirty All Stars and Automotive News Award that you got. It's a pretty prestigious award, and uh, you you got mentioned amongst some some pretty uh, some pretty big names.
2: It is some. It's a it's a nominee or nomination. Amongst industry experts, so somehow, some way, I've uh, I've impressed somebody along the way, and maybe I paid them. I don't know what it was. But, uh, <laughs> I ended up on a pretty cool list of 2020 All Stars um, by Automotive News. It's the, the whiskey guy on there. It's the whiskey. That might be what it is. The brown. Yeah. <laughs> that, that is a little bit persuasive.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, so the, the it's interesting to me because in starting off with 2021 with this podcast, I think it, it's really cool to me and something I was thinking about prior to the podcast was we almost have two, two completely different ends of the spectrum, not only in location, right? You've got West Coast with Tully, East Coast with Ed, you guys couldn't be more further apart or further apart. And uh, not only that, but you think about the states that you're in, California and Florida, governed extremely differently through all of this COVID mess. And yet both of you really kind of pulled through with great years and were able to kind of navigate some of the the chaos in different circumstances, right? And so Tully, I want to start with you and just kind of get maybe an understanding or a recap of 2020 and how it impacted you. Obviously, California is is maybe a little bit different than the rest of the United States, but how uh, how did 2020 go for you?
0: Well, you know, 2020 was a massive learning experience. I think that you know when we go back and look at it, 2020 was a horrible year. When you look at you know what COVID has done, and then of course you throw in the politics, it's just it was just a mess. But what we did learn is that if we run our dealerships right, and if we treat our employees right we have had successful operations. And when you look at the chaos and the destruction that we've had, I feel that our stores are now stronger than ever. And and I think that that's what we really learned. We got lean and mean and we made everybody get lean and mean. And then we kept everybody happy and everybody made it through. And I think that we have learned so much from 2020.
2: Ed, how about you? The, uh, There's a lot of times when, as you're going through the the normal grind of the day or the week or the month, you lose sight of trying something different. And when, when we were challenged this year with various different things, it gave us the opportunity to really throw some different things out there. And truly at the end of the day, we're in the people business. So what we really had to focus on was how would our customers want? it. And it gave us opportunity to test drive some of that. And then like Tully said, taking care of our people. If you take care of our people, if you take care of your people, they will follow behind you and throw out ideas that that they'll help you lead the way. And and it's been an extremely profitable year for us. We've done a lot of different things. Um, We've really exploded mobile service. Um, Pickup and delivery has become very widespread across all brands now. Um, And the service industry as a whole has found a way to meet customers at their needs rather than have them service on our needs.
1: So one thing I really enjoy about both of you is that people are at the core of what you do, right? Without just a really good understanding of without good people, it's going to be maybe kind of a struggle. Talk to me about maybe competitors in 2020. Were there, and and without naming names, were you able to see maybe competitive dealerships or shops that maybe didn't embrace that the same way or you know kind of approached it differently and I'll I'll let either one of you go there. I know that's kind of a, a question out of the blue, but um any any thoughts on competition and, and maybe some people that might not have handled it as well.
2: Well I'll take that and start with and then tell I can run with it. The uh I think from a corporation standpoint, a lot of corporations and a lot of other dealers, not necessarily in corporations, really want in the hibernation mode. Let's 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 cut way back, let let's let us let us lay off who we don't have to have, give us an opportunity to clean up, and then let's wait and see what happens. Well, the wait and see program never really is progressive for anybody. Um, but that's what we saw around us in a lot of areas is everybody went into hiber- hibernation mode and uh, then struggled to find their way out of it and get people to come back in when they needed them.
0: I, uh, I would have to second that a little bit. I think that when we look at our competition, and, you know, I think our competition, we have two. One is, of course, we have our, you know, our dealerships in our area and uh, that our competition with the same makes and models and so forth. But, you know, our competition really is tire shops and independents and, uh, you know, those kind of places. And I think that when you look at a, a car dealership, um, we, got, we got smart and said, you know, when, when COVID happened, especially in March, you know, what did we all do? We're like, oh my God, you know, we have to keep all these people employed, right? And I think what we did is we went out and said, okay, what do we need to do guys? We got everybody in a team huddle, recalls. What did we do? Boom, on the phone, guess who's calling? Techs are calling, parts guys are calling, service writers are calling. And I think that when you really get down to it is that we went out there and, and we asked, we have never done that before. We're all, we're a little proud, we're a little dealership, you have to come and see us. Well, you know, those days are over, bro. You know, we, we need to go out there and say, hello, customer. We love you. Come on in. And we have a great place for you. It's clean. It's safe. So I think that we learned a lot and we learned a lot about our competition and we learned how to market ourselves better when we're in that desperate mode. And our goal was really what to do. Keep the doors open, keep people happy, keep people safe and keep people employed. Looking back at
1: at maybe some learning lessons there. And I remember saying when we were right in the midst of, you know, that April timeframe and, and really we weren't selling, we were trying to back, like from, from a, the find wrench standpoint and the wrench way standpoint, we were really backed off. But one of the things I kept saying throughout that was you could be missing out on a huge opportunity right now as a, as an employer, because, how you handle this next couple months could dictate how successful you are in the next 10 years. And that's kind of what I kept, that's what I was alluding to is that when are you ever going to see a market again, where there might be more technicians in the market than jobs available. And I mean, it was like, it, it did that for two months and then like a light switch, it went the other way where again, way too many jobs for too few techs. Right. And so I, I it was a scary time. And it's really easy for me to say that because I'm not paying the overhead of a dealership. Uh, so I, when you look back to those early crazy moments, did you have to kind of remind yourself to take a breath and and not think that the world is over? Or was it really just batting up the hatches? We're, we're just bracing for war. and how, how did you guys do it? And I know it was interesting with you because in opening a new Lincoln store and doing some of that other stuff, you guys had a lot of irons in the fire at that point.
2: Well, it, it sped things up. The Yes, we had a few irons in the fire, um, but used to before internet days, a change of time was about 20 years. Then the internet comes along and that change of time is about every 18 months. Well, in 2020, that change of time was when COVID hit. And we really had to change our way of doing things and, and finding different ways. And and I didn't really look at it as alarming. I looked at it as, in, in my departments, I have 177 people that work for me. And that's 177 families that, that they got to provide for. So we had to shift to, hey, we're not going to wait for it to show up. Let's find some different things to do. And like Tully said, with recalls, we reached out to every recall that we could come up with. Um, and, and if we couldn't, if they couldn't come in for whatever reason or didn't have the um, they was a little scared of maybe leaving the house or whatever we'd go to them and take care of it uh, and then recommend not done so we just looked at everything let's let's circle back let's look at everything that we've always done and see how can that come to surface now and we just pulled that forward and then of the ones that still didn't get out and move around that demand became pent up a little bit if they shifted to just work drive one vehicle and let the other vehicle sit in the driveway well vehicles don't quit braking and when you don't drive it other things happen and so now two months later, when they go to start that vehicle, it won't start. It's got a dead battery and various other things. So it pinned up a little bit of demand that really kept things moving even after we pushed through some of the recommend not dones and, and, uh, and recalls. So, Ed, how, how much growth did you have on the mobile side in 2020?
1: Because you had started to dip your toe in the water prior to that, right? But then when you were, I think, planning that mobile side even ahead of that, weren't you?
2: Yeah, we was dancing in mobile service for a couple of years. We didn't really have a branded vehicle, but we'd go out to different fleets. Um, Ford really owns the fleet world a bit, especially from the truck side, and we'd go out to different fleets and, and minimize their downtime, and that creates loyalty. So we've been dancing to that for a bit. We ordered a, a, two vans um, last year. I guess probably August time frame. And I got my first one in December, and had it. We was really getting it rolling, but it was really just picking up what we was already doing, and uh, except I was doing it with a branded vehicle now. And then my second van arrived March twelfth, right around the time that uh, that COVID was really setting in and it was becoming something that we was really tightening the world down with. And it gave us an opportunity to expand that and go out and and meet mixed, missed appointments and and pick up. Uh, work that's at another car dealership that uh, recalls that they may have there rather than them send it out to another dealer or whatever. Um, so I didn't really measure what mobile service did to it for us prior to this year, but this year I had an expense that come along with mobile service because now i bought some vehicles and some equipment to go along with it. And uh, in business, if you got an expense, you got to have an ROI. So I uh, really started measuring it and created an op code that we really, that, that I can track everything now. So it's generated on a mobile truck. I run an opcode analysis report, and I can run everything that's been done with that. And so I can't really say how much it took off this year, except I went from keeping one team of guys busy to keeping as many guys busy as I can put out there. Um, But I really believe that demand was probably already there. We just wasn't really, as I said earlier, I mentioned it in needs rather than terms. We was asking customers to service on our terms rather than their terms. And um, COVID really allowed us the opportunity to, uh, to present to our customers that we can service on their terms. And it really exploded mobile service. And I I, I may be stepping out here, um, but probably in five years from now, mobile service may be 50% of our business. Wow.
1: And totally, you and I have kind of talked about that a little bit. Uh, you know, I think in our podcast, you had brought up Ed and, and what he's doing there. Do you see that as an opportunity for
0: every dealership? Well, I think that you know you know the be- the thing about mobile service is that I think that you know is your brand ready for it and and when you look at fleets that's where the start is. but then I think what Ed was also getting to is that when customers say, why do I need to go to a dealership? they just come over and fix it Like well, holy mackerel And we what we've kind of embraced here with our brands because we have luxury brands at the Nilo company is um, pickup and delivery, right? So, um, you know, we'll come pick up your Porsche or pick up your BMW or something of like that nature. And so right now we have addressed that and I'm telling you the comments that we get are like, oh my God, this is the best thing since sliced bread. And like, these are just great comments and we see that growing. You know what the hardest thing is, is getting our service managers and general managers on board, hmm. right? They didn't, you know, it's because as what Ed said, it's different. It changed on March, right? And I think, uh, and and, and it's hard for people to see something different. But the good news is, is that we are making it happen and it's working and people are buying into it. And best of all, customers love it.
1: Ed, did you battle any of that? Like the kind of the resistance to, hey, what are these mobile trucks doing? And, and you know, what it's changing my life. Did you, did you, did you have any opposition or any internal conflict in terms of trying to. Uh, deliver that mobile service platform?
2: That, not really. That's been one of the success pieces of this store is everybody's got to have the same philosophy. There's several different ways to run business and there's several right ways to run business. There's several wrong ways to run business. But ultimately, everybody's got to be rolling in the same direction. And Everybody has the same philosophy. It's, it's amazing what you can accomplish. And that's one of the success pieces of this store is, is we, we all push in the same direction. And so it almost makes it easy.
1: Would, would there have been anything, and just kind of wrapping up our 2020 talk as we kind of go to 2021, is there anything you wish you would have done differently, uh, either going into uh, in, into COVID or into kind of quarantine? Uh, is there anything looking back where you say, okay, I might have handled it differently, hindsight's 2020, or is it just kind of it was a crapshoot and you did whatever you could?
2: I think we all learned from what 2020 brought us and the uh, I don't I try not to, to look at it from an aspect man, I wish I'd have done that differently. I look at it from an aspect, well, what do we learn from it and, and what can we do differently next time? And is there some things that, that we will continue into 2021 with? Absolutely. And, and that is um, rather than, than waiting for something to happen, a, a, a positive case to show up or whatever, Take the precautions, whether that's out there or not, and show customers that we're here to take care of you and showing them that we're disinfecting their vehicle before it even leaves the service drive. That can take place with or without COVID being in place because it makes them feel like we're taking care of their, their, their possession because it is the second most expensive investment they're going to make currently and ongoingly. They're going to buy more cars than they do houses. Um, and we when we show them, we take pride in it. So that's a lingering piece that I think we've learned from. That really puts on—I um, can't really call it a show, but it really puts out the image that we want to take care of
0: them. how about you? I think that what we learned is that you know I, I think that we learned how our products work better for us. I think our vendors really came through for us, and and we utilized the software that we had. I mean, I'm always a you know as everybody knows, I'm a data freak, and I love data. But, you know, if no one uses it, utilizes it a waste. But, you know, what happened is, is that, you know, our CDKs or, you know, our partner CDK and X-Times, they came in and helped us with some solutions that we might have overlooked or like, yeah, yeah, I don't think I need that today. Right. And we're like, you know, and now we embrace this technology. And guess what? Our customers like it and it helps them on a day to day basis. So we feel that we have learned a lot during COVID. And I'm, you know, I can't, I, you know, I hate to say this out loud, but I'm kind of glad it happened. I wish we didn't have all the results that we had sure. because it made us better. It made us better for two things. It made us better for our customers because we are in the repeat and referral business, but we also made it better, I think, for our employees. I think that, you know, what? when you look at a store, especially in California, when we into lockdown, guess what fixed ops was? A hero's, right? You know, we're normally zeros, right? And all of a sudden, here we are, the store's closed, and we're producing income for the store. All of a sudden, the GM's going, hey, well, I need to go back and shake some hands. I said, absolutely. So I think that fixed ops got some exposure, but we also got exposure as we got our team together. Our technicians all got together and said, hey, let's all work four days, so we can keep everybody employed. You know, you start it's almost like you want to tear up right there. The parts people are hiring, how can we help the techs produce hours so we get paid? How can our service advisors make sure we keep everybody employed? How do we keep the detailers and porters up and running? This is what we've learned a lot. It's brought our stores together, and I think, you know, we all like to say this word culture because I think it's over it's overstated, but stores that came out of COVID successfully and the stores are happier is because of culture started that. It wasn't because we just did everything right. That's not it. We're, we're in the people business and we treated everybody with respect. And then if we treat our employees with respect, what do they do? They treat our customers with respect. Yeah. It starts with our stores and our people first.
2: Yes, absolutely. And I want to touch on something else there, Jay. Um, it really highlighted for everybody, not just in the automotive industry, but technology not a whole lot of new technology came out this year, but we all embrace technology. We're now delivering vehicles remotely, but just think about it, like what we're doing here today. We're, we're here in Wisconsin, Telly's out in California, I'm here in Florida. We didn't have to travel across the country to meet with each other. And when, when, I, get off, when I get off of this, I got another call that I'll be on this afternoon. So it's made us more productive because we could, we're in different places at different times accomplishing the same thing. And we don't drag along that expense. Of traveling the country and doing those things. There's there's other elements that come along with that, but it really allowed us to see how productive we could be with the technology that was already out there.
1: Yeah, I I, I 100% agree. Now, with what you've learned in 2021, let's kind of set our sights on, or on what we've learned in 2020, excuse me. Let's set our sights on 2021. What are maybe some things that we've learned in 2020 that can apply and keep moving forward. I know, Ed, you, you talked about whether it's something as simple as the cleaning solutions that you would, you know, really use during a COVID time. Um, I'm guessing there's some more broad lessons out of this as well, but what, what do you see in terms of things that maybe we can, we can take from 2020 and maybe the stresses that we, we had in 2020 and apply to 2021 and and forward. Well,
2: it goes back to what Tully said there, but it's all of us getting through this started with what our stores culture is. And that's people working together uh, or against each other, but teamwork is key. And I think we really highlighted that in in 2020, Uh, everybody pulling together, finding different ways to do things, and thinking outside the box because we, we didn't have a choice. We had to. And I, I think it really put an emphasis on what you can accomplish together. And Tolly you kind of alluded to
1: that same thing, right? I mean, it's it's ultimately probably pulled you closer together as a team. Do you see – how do you keep that from 2021 and on? And, and maybe do you see any parallels to, say, 2008 when we went through the financial crisis – I mean, are there parallels in things that you learned in 2008 and 2020 that really can, can really help us
0: moving forward? You know, 2008, um, you know, I was at a Chevy store, a huge Chevy store in San Jose, and we were, all we were worried about is not going bankrupt, yeah. you know, and, you know, and I think that um, 2008 helped dealerships get stronger and learn how to run their businesses better. And you know, I remember I was a dispatcher. I was paying the phone bill on my Visa card. I, you know, it, we just did whatever to stay open. I think with the COVID thing is what we've learned is we got leaner in 08. Yes, we did. But when and, and, and when we came into COVID time, we realized that we have to keep our we have to keep the store open, and we have to keep our people happy and feel safe, so we can survive. And I think it was less about the money; it was more about keeping open and keeping business coming the door. Because I felt, you know, 2008, I was scared, right? I, you know, I was scared for my dealer going broke and I was not scared for the needles going broke at all. I was scared for my employees um, and their families. So I think it was a little different. And um, coming out of 2020, we're going to be stronger and everything that we've learned, we need to move forward with. We need to keep it going forever. And if we don't shame on us, we have learned so much and I think they're all for the better.
1: So how do you how do you recap that uh, and and the lessons that you learned over the course of the year as you go into the new year and and really reemphasize that to your team right how do you how do you make sure that they don't forget this and as we record this vaccinations are currently starting and it's it's you know maybe hopefully starting in a different direction for uh, the world but how do you how do you make that so one it if maybe it's a painful memory for some, how do you make it stick? So, you know, you turn it into a positive and, and really look at it from the standpoint of, uh, we, we got stronger as a result of this.
0: Great leadership does that, right? If you don't have great leadership, and here's the deal, it starts at the top. It starts with Mr. Nilo. We're, we're going to be in business for 100 years next next year, right? This did not happen by accident. And we have core values that we all believe in. Treat each other with respect and so forth, right? That we believe in. So if we ever have a if we ever if we have a, a situation like I don't know what to do, we read the core values, you know, and, and we and we and usually we'll answer our question to do the right thing. If we let this go, it is the worst thing we've ever done for ourselves. And and I think that what we have learned, in bringing our GMS together for GM dinners, and bringing our service managers and parts managers together more, is that you're seeing the change of just grind, grind, kill, kill, destroy. Is you know. Um, you know, our our team's doing great. We're doing really well. We're in the green. Everybody's happy. To me, that's a win. That's a huge win.
1: Yeah, and it shows what you can do when everybody does get together, and it's not just a, a cliche, right? Like that's correct. I mean, uh, it's,
0: it's the Disney way. Disney's been doing it for years. Yeah, you know, and we just figured it out in March. You know, <laughs> I think that we had some. I think we had some culture before that. I, I would want to say that, right? But I think that we really focused more on it and realized how impactful it is, right? You know, I think culture is the issue. You know, it's kind of like, you know, and I'm gonna give credit to Ed on this, is that, you know, Ed talks about his, his, his technician path. He can go to every, any technician, right? And say, what's your pathway? And they can tell him, right? Those technicians feel secure. They feel secure that they're gonna have a job there with Ed forever. And that's what we want at our stores as well. I don't have a structured as much as Ed does, but we do have pathways, which I have fought hard to get at every store. But you know what? We want that security. We want to know if service writers want to become a service manager one day, they could, right? But, you know, when we have longevity where 50% of our people are over five years, if you look at over 20 years, we have like 17%. It's like a hundred people. Wow. You know, it's it's, it's, it's it's awesome. Our oldest technician, 51 years, retired this year. We have three that are in the forties and fifties. So this is because we're doing the right things.
1: Yeah. And Ed, I was able to see your experience up close and personal, uh, was able to meet the, the Bozard family for the grand opening of your Lincoln store. And, um, just, I, I mean, to feel that, and that's one of the things you told me, uh, in the reasons I came down was to say, come feel this. You can't, you can't really see it in pictures. You can't really see, you know, all of this stuff, but when Tolly says it's from the top down, I, I could see that when I was down there. And and not only that, just going through and you guys have a daycare. Like, I, I, I mean, that's that's incredible uh, to, to take care of your people, a daycare, a restaurant, like all of this stuff on your campus. And I think it shows and even how you treated the people during the open house, right? Like, and you allowed them to come in and experience the restaurant and do all or that. I shouldn't say open house grand opening. Um, but I mean, it showed to me that people are important and it's not just a number that like when you go out to the shop and you're talking to the techs that, you know, they think they're, they think they're, they know they're important. They, and you, you've reinforced that. And I, I mean, talk to me a little bit about that, because I think as we go forward, Tully hits it on the nail. It's from leadership down, but then you guys just knock it out of the park in that regard.
2: Well, and and we've been blessed there, and, and but it goes back to Tully, and, and and Tully and I look at a lot of things the same way. We're not into doing a wallet flush with every customer that comes through the door and selling this flush and that flush, um, but for his company to be around for 100 years um, and, and still be running strong, ours is third generation, but it's only been around since 1949, and usually things kind of fade in third generation. The first ones that went out there, first generation, they put their heart and soul in it, and second generation is kind of all they ever knew. Third generation is they're tired of hearing It's All they've ever heard their whole life. That, and they're ready to be done with it. And we're prospering in, in third generation. Uh, and the, uh, so I don't have the 51 year, tenured uh, technicians uh, because we have grown that much in the last 10 years. But ultimately it is about, can we offer them a path? Can we offer them a career? Because anybody can offer them a job. And, and one of the things that we did several years back is we, we create a professional wage. And so our, our base wage has been 15 bucks an hour for a couple of years. And the reason why we wanted to do that is because we want to invest in our people. And when you invest in your people and you're paying them an entry-level wage, let's, let's call it 10 bucks an hour, and you have a disagreement and you want them to do something differently, all they gotta do is go look at classifieds or, or, or Indeed or whatever, and they can go find that other $10 an hour job and don't have to sh- change what they was doing or whatever else. But it may not necessarily be as hard to, or as easy to do that when they're getting the professional wages and, and they're more apt to make that adjustment. And then you're not starting fresh again because they went down the road. And when you continue to compound on that before you know it. And when you look around this place, there's a lot of youth in the shop. And that's, that's unheard of in a domestic line. A little bit more so in, in, in some of the imports, but on domestic, man, we're, they're all about to retire. And the uh, so to be able to bring somebody from an entry level, I got valets that are now technicians. I got technicians that are now warranty administrators and, and um, advisors that have become service managers. They all see that path around them. And when you ask, like Jay, you experienced it, you asked Harley, what's your next step? I'm going to TDP, the tech development program. He is now in TDP. He's probably halfway through it. And uh, and by mid-year, uh, here this year, he'll be out in the shop and, and earn a living for his family, earn a great living for his family and have a career path. And, and, and then the next step, he can look at being a team leader and then maybe a shop foreman, wherever it goes from there. But it's investing in your people. And one of the things that 2020 really brought us is the resilience of what your team can be because they all had to help fight that battle with us. And the similarity between 2020 and 08 is we learned how much we could do with less. In 08, it was truly with less people. In 2020, we was picking up other elements and moving people around to do those things. So we maybe had less people doing certain elements, but we had them doing other things. And uh, we learned that there were so many more elements that we could pick up and make something happen with. Um, Both of those really brought back what what can we do with less and, and ultimately ends up being more with 2020.
1: Well, and the flexibility there is such a such a big deal. And I think having the culture that allowed you to be flexible in that regard is such a huge, huge deal. And I don't see it everywhere. I think there's some that are more rigid than others and don't, you know, if it's a, an employee that doesn't wanna cross the line and go do parts or do deliveries or do, you know, whatever it is. But when they all come together and, and you're doing it for one common purpose, I think that's a, that's a big deal. I, I want to. T- oh, totally. Did you have something there?
0: Yeah, I would love to add that. I mean, I think that you know what. We, what I'm going to try to do for 2021, because you know what. You know what I worry about is that not everybody is included, right? And I mean by the techs are always usually always included, right? And you know they're, they're grumpy sometimes, but you know we always want to include them, right? We include the service writers, which are 99% always included, right? But then the parts counter guy, the porters. Without porters, we can't work. Car washers. Do, you know? The, the, we can't customers will be upset. So, you know, I think that how do you make everybody in your store feel part of the team? You can bring people together right now. It's very difficult, but you bring everybody together once a month and you hand out this and you tell everybody how great they are. And you, what do you do? The number one tech was the number one service advisor was. Okay. What about this? And, you know, you know, as you can see in the background, I got TVs running is that I'm going to have a data contest and I'm going to run an ad every day for each store that says, The first porter that says what technician is the number one for that store gets a $25 gift card. Because I'm trying to bring the small people together too, because without them, it doesn't work and they feel left out. And how do we bring them included? Okay, you can bring them to the team, but you know, they're scared. Let's just be honest with you. But you know, I can say the first parts counter guy that responds at your store that knows the percent of of hours forecast gets a $25 gift card. And I'm going to do this every day. And we can do this for sales too, but it's really focused for fix more than anything else because I want to bring everybody included because you know most contests are for the top 5%. And that's not what it's all about.
1: Yeah. And and to bring some of those that might be in the top 5% down the road in the fold, it just, and making them feel like they're important. I think they remember that stuff when they are in that top 5%, right? That Not everybody. I think it, we're all guilty of this, that, not everybody starts off at the top, right? You start, you start off at the bottom and work your way up. One thing I want to ask both of you, uh, in, and this might not just be a 2021 thing, but a business in general thing is, Ed, you talked about how you've got a baseline wage of, of like 15 bucks an hour, right? How, how do you, I guess, convey that to say ownership or to, um, you know, the people that are really, really vested in this to, to help them understand why you need to pay at a higher rate. And I think I know the answer to this, but I do still see it out there where if somebody's paying 15, 16, 20 bucks an hour to start, a lot of these groups and shops in general are expecting them to produce right off the bat because they look at it as a st- from the standpoint of like, hey, I'm not paying you 10 bucks an hour anymore. I'm paying you a higher wage. And then the the person on the other side is like, I could go down to the Walmart distribution warehouse and make double this tomorrow. So how do you how do you kind of manage that balance? Because I I, I think there's uh, it, it's a it's a change in mindset for a lot of people. I don't think it's it's quite there yet. In all honesty,
2: um, I think more t- more than anything, we got to find out. We got to ask ourselves, how can we do it, rather than what's it going to do for us, and it makes you, uh, when you flip that switch, it makes you have to manage your business a little bit differently because we all have some dead wood I and mean, we just do, we got some that's kind of that hides in the corner and they do this and they do that. And if you give them a 50% raise, that dead wood's going to be with you forever if you don't manage them. Yeah. Um, but taking it back to breaking it down, how we did it here is I got, Entry-level jobs are usually high turnover. Dealerships are high turnover anyway, but entry-level jobs are your highest turnover in any business. And so how do we start it off at being a, a, at a different level than that? I mean, if, if somebody's flipping burgers, they can go flip burgers anywhere for the same amount of money. It doesn't matter. If they don't like that manager, they go somewhere else. If they don't want not hours, they go somewhere else. So we had to separate ourselves there. But I'm going to speak a little bit of specifics here. Um, at the time we did it, we was not at 279 employees. Was probably 206. So let's call it 200 employees when we made that switch. Um, calculating that out and saying, okay, what is it going to cost me? Who is hourly? What is it going to cost me if I move everybody to here? For our store, it was 39 grand a year. Break that down by month, break that down by week. That is nothing. Yeah. You lose more than that retraining somebody, starting all over, over and over and over again. So the biggest thing is find a way, find how can I do it rather than looking at the expense side and trying to back your way into the expense. 39 grand a year for 200 employees, because um, obviously a lot of a lot of people in dealerships are commission-based or flat rate or whatever else. So when you look at those, those entry levels, those future technicians that start off as a valet or a detailer, um, and, and you, you stop that turnover, and then they start, they're hanging out with Bob all the time. And Bob's that 10-year technician. And he says, you need to do this. You can come do this. And Next thing you know, they're coming and knocking on your door. Hey, I want to do this, whether you have a development program or not. And he sees Bob doing it, and he's like, "I, I can do anything Bob does." Um, but if that door is always rotating, then uh, you can't. And then it allows you to get better applicants when you do run an ad, the uh, because somebody is they may be a good person and a good job that they're making twelve bucks or thirteen bucks an hour in, but now they got an opportunity to make couple bucks more an hour and to grow and so you get better people that sit in front of you when you do run the ad with that being said we ran some blind ads i'll I'll say this and i'll I'll stop on that we ran some blind ads leading up to that for a call center person we ran an ad stating that we got an opening blah blah blah, fast growing dealership and uh, didn't really state who we are the name of the dealership or anything and said starting wage ten dollars an hour we got 16 applicants overnight wow the next day we ran that same ad, not stating anything about the dealership or the name of the dealership. Again, just changing the rate to $15 an hour in three hours. We had 230 applicants.
1: <laughs> that is such a great, that is such a great practice. Ed. I, I've not heard of, I, I, you know, it's almost like in marketing, the AB test, right? You just did, you ran two different ads against
2: each other. That's an awesome idea. Then the, the opportunity is yours. If you can't find somebody in that group, you're not looking Boy,
0: I, you know, you know I, I've always talked about, shouldn't we pay our general managers on ret- uh, employee attrition, right? Retention. I think that, you know what, most hires are because we're morons, right? And I think that, you know, there's people that slip through, I, you know, humans are humans. But for the most part, is that you know, you know, when you make a hire, you're hired. This is, it's almost a hire for life. Even if it's a low end, you know, we want this person to grow in us, right? If, you know, if a a person's a salesperson or a reporter or a detailer, they might like doing that forever. You know, we got some detailers been there 20 years. They just like it. God bless America, right? And he's got to make sure we give them raises every so often. So, you know, they don't feel left out because, you know, the problem with 10 years, you don't pay enough because you forget about them. And if you forget about them, shame on us. We're the ones that are at fault for that. So, You know, I think that when we look in California, we're a little bit more regulated on how much they get paid. Um, You know, I think right now our minimum wage is 13 is going to go to 14. So what that means is everybody gets twenty four dollars an hour if you have your toolbox. So, you know, when we look at when I always say, are we paying our technicians enough? Because we have this minimum wage horse manure that we have to do in California. But here's the thing is that, you know, when a technician is this bleh, what happens? He gets blah hours, you know, and a technician's excited. And he says, I'm going to make 50 bucks an hour. Guess what's going to happen? He's going to produce and he's going to get everybody in his team excited. So my question is, is are we paying our technicians enough? Do we give them the training and the ability to make it? That's the key when you look at your shop. Are you giving everybody opportunity, right? And then, you know, this goes with service riders and everybody else, but technicians, it starts with them getting it going, then you can get the parts people fired up and then you get the service riders fired up. Right. But it starts making sure are your techs motivated, happy, you know, and I want a little greed in there. Uh, totally. I do have to
1: mention, I think you have another beyond the wrench first, which is, I think the first time we've heard horse manure on the, uh, the podcast. And then secondly, I think my, my marketing girl that does the, does the editing of the podcast said that we should do a drinking game with based on how many times you say, God bless America. So I, if we do that, I'm, I know I'm in trouble. I'm a lightweight.
0: Well, you know, you know how that came is that, you know, I had a tendency to swear a lot when I was younger. <laughs> 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 and, you know, so not, instead of using profanity, uh, God bless America. And it's, it really started when I was in colleges. I, I love going to college, you know, yeah. I haven't done enough of that up here. Um, because the colleges are not really into it, but in the Bay area, we have some super colleges, Anzas and evergreens that are, have huge automotive programs. And I go speak with her twice a month. I mean, twice a year. And, you know, you can't swear to college. I got in trouble.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> I, it's funny. Cause I think totally the last podcast we did, uh, you were talking about how you, uh, <laughs> you you uh chewed out a class uh oh, yeah. because he wanted them to listen to you and uh, to me I I listening back to that podcast I still like my obnoxious laugh was even laughing on top of that it was just uh it sounded like we had a whole people whole group of people laughing because it's just me laughing at you uh but that's that's maybe a good a good I, I guess um transition into schools and maybe have, I, this might, again, not be something we learned in 2020, we already kind of knew, but what what is a dealership's responsibility to schools and what how involved should we be? I know, Ed, you and I were at JTEC together in Jacksonville. Um, I think we got an advisory committee. I don't know if you're doing that, uh, but I think they've got an advisory committee meeting this afternoon. Um, what what roles should we be playing and and how how engaged should we be because it, it can take a lot of time.
2: The uh, there's there's kids there at those schools those technical schools from all walks of life. Some of them are there because their parents told them they had to be there. Some of them are there because they want to to do uh, have a trade, not sure if they could do it or not. Um, they're there for all different reasons, and it's up to us to really go in there and build that excitement and show them success stories and, and show them that this is not a bad career and that it is it's 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 not something to look down on um as a blue collar employee and uh i show them a lot of times when i go up and talk i'll show them the the earning potential how fast it ramps up as a technician versus how the the linear curve that you get um in that corner office and at some point they do cross because you start to slow down a bit um but they earn all the money out here when uh, when they're young and, and they want to, they can play and then go have fun with it. And the later ones earn it later, and that's when they end up with their vets and and their various different other cars that they can play with. Um, but I'm all game with the God bless America on the drinking game, as long as you're not drinking <laughs> that gasoline behind you.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> I. I uh, well, compared
1: to your whiskey collection, Ed, I think that any whiskey that I have probably tastes like that gasoline. So I, I, uh, I, you know what I, that could be trouble. That could be trouble. But I will say I've said God bless America more now in the last probably month than I ever did in my life. So I, uh, I, that's that totally, totally could basically
0: trademark that at this point. Wow. So here, here's my thought on schools. Yeah. It's our responsibility to make them right. Because, you know, when I go into schools, I get so goddamn mad at them because they're like, well, you know, look at this carburetor. What the hell is a carburetor? They've been gone how many years, bro? I mean, they need to get it serious. Here's the thing. When, when, when students go to Stanford or go to any college to go work at Facebook, are they like, whoa, well, you know, no, they're active. When I go in there, I want these kids to understand this is a great profession. Just what Ed said, I show them how much money they can make. I explain to them how flat rate works and how hourly works. Do you want to work at Firestone? No offense. Or you want to work at a car dealer and make 50 bucks an hour? I mean, the thing of it is that these schools sometimes, I just get so frustrated, like, just bring it in. I need the commission. Just bring it in. Yeah, I need the commission. You know what? That's not bringing out people that are good. I want this industry to be full up. I want to be like the plumbers. I want to be like those guys. You've got to knock on the door to get in. Yeah. Right? And I tell you, some of these schools need a little ass kicking
1: they don't only need a knock on the door; they need you to knock down the door. I, I think Correct. in a lot of I cases. I know
0: I'm on a high horse here, but I think that if we want to make this industry great, right? Ed and I want to make this industry great. Jay wants to make this industry great. It starts with having the right people in schools that want to go into this trade, that can make a great living. Yes, there is some apprenticeship levels, as any trade is. But you know, if you're good in five years you're going to make 30 bucks an hour, you know, based on the area you're in. You're going to make a decent wage or even a great wage. How do you get into become a service manager without a college education? This is how you do it. This is how you can make a great living. Yeah. And I think that these schools sometimes are just processing people and it irritates. And that's the reason I yelled at that school one time. These kids are in there. They didn't pay attention to what I was saying. And I just, oh God, I was so mad.
2: Yeah. I, <laughs> I love your passion there, Tully. And you're exactly right. We we, when we go to these schools, we have to bring the cake and spread the icing, we're, whereas they should be, they should have the cake and we're just bringing the icing to, to make them choose us rather than the industry. But we got to paint the picture for the industry and us. Well, you know, what's funny. Oh, go ahead, Tully. And
0: I, and, I, and I even offered a lot of them. I said, these junior colleges, you know, they, they, they call it something else, but, you know, it's the two years, right? And I said, you know, you guys go to high schools because here's the deal. I want to talk to the students and the parents in high school. Thank you. We're all not going to Stanford. We're all not working at Facebook and Google. Get over it, right? I says, you know, what we want to show them is how they can make a decent trade. I was at a trade show at a high school one time. They had an airplane technician down there. Okay, it was an oil changer for 14 bucks, the hairdresser, the painter. They had lines of kids. I'm down here paying 50 bucks an hour. I got a scoop of ice cream over here. Say, hey, hello, but fly. (laughs) whole lots of technician. I don't know what they do. I mean, we have a great industry here. How do we get the word out that this is a great place to work?
2: Absolutely. Everybody chases that corner office, but somebody had to build that corner office.
0: Correct, and we did.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I I could never uh, uh Tully, I don't think I could ever sit in a room with you and not not uh laugh obnoxiously. So this is, uh, this is, uh, this is always good, but no, I, I agree. I need to keep it serious. That's it. Yeah. 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 No doubt. But it's funny that you bring up the, the school part. I was actually at a high school last week, uh, in our backyard here and they're, they, they've got a high school automotive program, which I applaud them for. It's kind of a, a technology program in general. Uh, but the car that they had in there that they were working on was like a 1956 Oldsmobile. I don't even know, like, you got like
0: drum brakes all around. You got, <laughs> you get like a carburetor points, so, you know, like. So think uh, about this. What do, what do kids want to learn? They want the technology. I understand it takes a while to get there. They need an electric car there. They need talking about the cool stuff, right? Yeah. They need to talk about this infotainment system that has 14,000 computers on it that breaks every 15 minutes. That's what we want to talk about. That's how we make a living. Here's the deal. Do you want to work for Honda that has maintenance, or do you want to work for Land Rover that breaks every ten seconds? That's what we want. We want the good brand. No offense, Land Rover, we love you. <laughs> Keeps the lights on. God bless America.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's so about the only thing on that fifty-six Oldsmobile will build: spark plugs and tires that cars still have on today. Everything yeah. else is
0: different. Well, well the, the points. What the hell's that? I, just, I forgot about what the hell that is,
1: man. <laughs> well. Well, the, the funny thing is, though, as I'm getting more involved with schools, what I'm learning is, I think there's a lot of our educators that need help too, right? And not from just the standpoint of not having a 56 Oldsmobile in their classroom, but of knowing what a new vehicle looks like and knowing what you know what technology is even out there because they, they obviously, in a lot of cases, have limited resources. Although totally out in Silicon Valley, where in Sacramento, I guess Sacramento, you're probably a little different, but like. I don't know that instructors fully grasp like how much the industry has changed. And, and I, that was a a really, I mean, kind of an eye opener to me.
0: So the best thing I ever did is I went to an automotive teachers association meeting and I left like flabbergasted. Really? And, And here's the deal. I don't blame the teachers. These poor guys that are, you know, they're in their upper age and, you know, they're all from the carburetor days. They're from the seventies. Right. And that's a tough year for us. Right. And then the eighties came out and like, I'm getting the hell out of this. Right. And now they're, and, and now they're in there teaching kids and, and I don't blame them. I blame the schools because they're not keeping up with it. So when we asked them and says, Hey, you know, well, tell you, know, what do you guys want us to do? We want you to teach the basics. We want you to teach the basic stuff. We want you to keep up with technology. We're going to train them on the car. That's our job. Yep. But you as a student, can they read? Can they write? Can they use a calculator? Can they add up? Can they do math? Can they write great stories? Can they Are they mechanically inclined? These are things that we want students to do. And you know, I think it starts with how do we help our teachers out and get them motivated and excited?
2: It goes back to, to what Tyler was saying earlier. It's, it's top down. It's not just top-down on dealership. It's top-down in that school. A lot of times when you go to these schools, and you, you find these guys as instructors that are past technicians that got out of it because it got too complicated for them. Well, it's not getting less complicated going forward. They're not wanting to learn a new stuff, so they're not going to teach the new stuff. So anybody that's in this, and that, that's a top-down approach, is you got to find people that want to stay green and growing because when you feel like, okay, I've done enough of this, I'm going to go I'm – I'm done, I'm, I'm going to go teach – if you feel like that you've learned all you need to learn, you're right. And any piece of fruit that is ripe tomorrow is starting to rot, and you don't want rotten employees or rotten teachers out there. And unfortunately, that is what the industry is 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 plagued with in the training fields out there. How we? This one
1: hits kind of close to home with me. Um, I just reached out to my. The, my high school that I graduated from, and they didn't have an automotive program. I went to a local tech school uh, to go through the, the technician program there. Uh, but I reached out and I said, "Hey, listen, we're working with some other schools. We're getting some donations for them. Uh, there's a Toyota dealership here in in the Madison area that just is stepping up big time. Uh, I just hauled a diesel engine last week to to a couple schools, and." I said, I'd be interested in helping you guys out. I, you know, I've got a vested interest there. I, I went there. And the response I got back was we don't have an automotive program. I'm like, "What?" <laughs> well, I, well not only that it's finding people that don't just want to check the damn box. Like that's the, I, you know, there's so many, and I talk about it with tech schools and that's what I loved about J tech Ad uh, it was, that wasn't just checking the box, it was truly interest in, in making those relationships and and really kind of evolving where there's still, you know, and I I don't want to throw schools under the bus, because I don't think they're the entire problem. But you got to move past the check the box mentality. And until we do that, I don't think we're going to make any changes.
2: And that's one of the things I love about JTEC. I, I throw all kinds of ideas out there to different ones or whatever, and 90% of them probably mean nothing. But if we can act on a few of those, and you make progress. And when I go down and talk to those guys at JTEC, whether it's Greg or whoever it may be, when you go down and talk to them, they're not sitting there thinking why they can't do that or why we don't do that. They're thinking, how can we get there? How can you help us get there? If that helps you in your industry, how can you help us get there? And, and that's what sets them apart. And I probably have, 24, 25 of their kids here. Um, and I say kids, so I got some of the first graduating class all the way to the most recent graduating class. They're not, someone's not kids anymore. They got kids. Um, and, and I appreciate the fact of that, but that's the difference between them and a lot of trade schools is they're open to changing.
0: You know, I want to second that. I think that what's going to make schools better is that they um, have relationships with the industry. And I, you know, and and I I don't want to offend any tire shop, but I don't want them, uh, I don't want them associated with Amco and Goodyear because they just want $15 an hour machines that just, they don't even give a shit if the car makes it out the door, right? They have one guy that's smart and he'll figure it out. You know, we want people that want to be in the industry. and, And I think they need to understand that. And we need to show these kids that, you know, this is a great way of life. And I think they lose that because they're in a bubble. And sometimes the students, I mean, not the students, but the teachers in the schools, they don't want to hear it. They just want their income. They just want to make money there, right? And I think that is shame on them. Yeah. And I think when you look at more of the, you know, the the, the the junior colleges, that you know they have a good program, but are they in the program just because they want it? They're an old, tired, retired teacher, like Ed said, or are they are they are they really in it for to help the kids out? And I think a lot of the students, a lot of the teachers want to help kids out. They just don't know how. Yeah. And they need partnerships from us. Uh, what I don't want is I don't need a fuddy daddy service manager. Oh, you know, you're not going to go to work or you're not going to get anything done. You know, we want some excitement in the room, bro. We yeah. want to show them how we have fun with the, the, the technology. Bring in stuff from the factory. Show them the stuff. Get that juices flowing. Get them excited. And I think that with the one thing that we could all do out here and everybody listening to this is contact your local school and see what you can do for them. Thank you. And tell them to step aside. Let me in. See how you can help them, not ask them how they can help you. Correct. Yes. Here, here's the thing. I don't need anybody right now. I still want to go to knock on the door. Absolutely.
1: That's where uh, totally we see from the recruiting standpoint or, or really like the wrenchway standpoint as well, where it is a little frustrating in that a lot of shops will wait until they need somebody and, or they'll go to the school and say, you know, at graduation time, where, where are my techs? and then the school's like where have you been at the last you know <laughs> you you've done nothing for, to help support the program but as we see this more and more we're seeing that schools clamor for that assistance right and not just like i said maybe if you can get a blown engine to them or you can get you know a tra- an old transmission or you know something that's got you know work with your manufacturer and if there's a warranty piece that you typically throw out maybe you can get that to the school instead Um, I I just see so many opportunities and then I look at it from the standpoint, and I hope manufacturers really take this into consideration is maybe some train the trainer type stuff of, you know, some ongoing education for these, uh, maybe uh, more so high school instructors, I think that the college instructors get it a little bit more, but some of these high school instructors that just don't feel like they have any support are there things that we can put in place to help train them and get them educated on the latest and greatest so that they are excited to talk about it and they feel confident when they talk about it. A lot of high school teachers I talk to are just, they're in left field. They, they don't have any support and they don't know what to talk about.
0: You know, you know what our most successful thing and, 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 you know, and high school's tough because, you know, most of the high schools don't want automotive anymore. Right. Um, and some of them are starting, these poor, these poor teachers are just trying to make fun out of, it. they build go-karts and stuff just to get interest And God bless every one of them. But, you know, we had open houses you know, my last employer in the Bay Area is that we did, two, we did an, a one open house a year and we invited the four junior colleges that had automotive programs and we would get like hundreds of kids because wow. they just want to look inside a dealership, right? So I had to cone off the area because they go wandering around, right? So we'd bring them all in. We always fed them some food because food makes everybody happy, right? And, and then and then you, you, you I have my little speech. I'm the old guy. And then I have some young guys come up and that's who they want to listen to anyway. It's not me talking. And then we go out to the shops and we have a, I have usually three or four or five techs out there and they'll sit there and talk to them. I usually have to tell them to go home because you know they're out there for an hour, right? And I think that the high schools especially and even the, even the junior colleges need to come for visits, right? We need to set up visits. It doesn't cost us anything. And here's the deal. We're getting great exposure. I'm not asking for technicians. I'm just asking for a better place for all of our people to work.
1: Ed, do you, so it, it, we're kind of bumping up on our hour, unfortunately, but I, one of the things that I see as an opportunity for dealerships, especially, you know, when I, when I go to a Bozard and it's a big dealership, right? Like there's, it's, it's, I'm sure for a 18 year old, 19 year old kid that wants to come to Beaux it's intimidating and how do you make it less intimidating for maybe a young person to to want to come in and talk to you because I, you know I think about it and it's not just Bozart this is all dealerships for the most part where you pull in and there's some dealerships that are worse than others in terms of even trying to find a parking spot but then you you find a parking spot then you go in you're not sure if you're supposed to go through the service drive you're not you know it just really it makes them feel nervous and and are there ways that we can, be more welcoming as an industry when it when it comes down to
2: that side of it. That, that's a key part of this door success, and and yes, they have to put forth the effort. If they pull up the parking lot, they have to put forth the effort to get out, uh, or you can go out there and find him before he shows up in your parking lot. Um, but once they come in, it's that feeling that we talked about earlier, when everybody's willing to help you and everybody they find out what are you there for. How can they help you? And and look, they learn your name pretty instantly. Those are the things that makes it relaxing to them. Maybe this place isn't so bad after all. Um, but when we go and see somebody in the hospital, those are big old places there too. And you're nervous going there for multitudes of reasons, but you have kind of a direction of where you're going. And we need to offer that direction to them when they show up here, whether it's a customer, whether it's a prospective employee. But if you do those things and do the open houses and show the place off, you're, you're going to have the list of people ready already. And then you're going to have somebody that moves into the town or has or, or heard about you or whatever else. They want to come check it out they have to put that initiative to step out but that goes back to the culture that you create is it inviting or is it are, are you pushing people away and we can't change the size of this place but we can certainly control what it feels like when you get here
0: yeah totally i, I mean you have anything to add to that i i mean that's just perfect i think that you know i feel i, I remember when i first my first day of starting a job especially as a kid you know coming at us. You know, I was in an ASAP program with General Motors. I come in their school, like I'm looking at these big guys, like I don't even know what to do, you know, and scared. And I think that, you know, and I, I think Ed's probably got it dialed in so much better than I have. But, you know, I try to tell these, you know, these service managers and general managers is that, you know, the first day is so crucial. And I don't even want him working on a car on the first day, even if he's an experienced person. I just want him to get comfy in a spot. They got to, you know, put the coffee cup in the right spot or whatever they need to do. And most of them have an aircraft carrier toolbox. They got to make sure they lay it in there and park it in there and find the plug for 400 things to plug in. You know, you got to get all that out of the way, right? You know, <laughs> let's make it, get them relaxed and, and then they can talk to the person next to them and get these relationships started and then let's get to work. Right. And then of course they need to have a buddy and, you know, and that's, and I think that, you know, that's where we fail. I think that's where Ed does a really successful is they need a buddy. Because the buddy's going to make them feel better. So, like you know, where's the bathroom? You know, you know, you know. Or right. where's, you, know that, you know, that's a big deal.
1: That's and I, I like the way working. that you say that. Yeah, I like the way you say that. More so, we're so we're so robotic, and that will say, uh, "You need a mentor. You need a mentor." But really, what you need is a buddy. You need somebody that's going to show you the ropes and is just a good person and isn't going to say, "Well, figure it out." I had to figure it out. Yeah, we don't want that. No.
2: Figure it out doesn't get anybody anywhere.
1: It doesn't. All right, guys. Well, let's close the book on 2020. Um, obviously, I think a year that we're all going to remember for <laughs> the rest of our lives. Uh, give us maybe some parting words of advice for 2021, and and what we should be doing in our shops, and and maybe you know ways that we can improve and and look to um, just make 2021 brighter than 2020 um, for you know, not only business, but for morale and for, you know, kind of keeping everybody together.
0: You want to go first, Tony? Sure. I, I have two things. First is how do we make our employees happier? What can we do for them? What can we do to keep them motivated and keep them engaged? It doesn't have to be dollars and cents. It can be contests, small things. It can be congratulations. It can be the best two words you can ever say. Thank you. Right, Those are the things we need to do. That starts from the general manager. That starts from the dealer. The general manager is the general manager walking the walk. Walk Walking the walk means the detail department, the parts department. That's where all the spiders are, right? Uh, The shop, the service drive, right? And then the second thing is, what can we do as industry leaders to help our industry out? reach out to junior colleges, reach out to high schools. What can we do to do it? Even if they say no, say, I'm here to help. And I think two things we want to do is how do we make this industry better?
2: And then a few things that I would add to that is uh, we got a lot of smart people in this industry, whether they're technicians, whether they're advisors, whatever they may be, and, and they know the roadblocks that they run into better than we do. And we have process improvement teams where, a group of guys will go to lunch once a month and that they'll have an, a, a concern or an issue that they've brought up or we've brought to them and, and ask them for suggestions. And when COVID hit, those guys, just, we didn't have to ask them to bring us suggestions. They had them and they brought them to us. Um, so get feedback from your people, get them involved, and then they take ownership of it. And when they take ownership of it, anything you implement becomes easy.
1: That's good. That's really good stuff. I, I wish you guys nothing but the best of luck in 2021. I uh, have really, really enjoyed getting to know the both of you and and really respect and admire what you guys do. I hope we can get you back on the podcast again at some point together. I, I think, uh, as I said at the open, that there's so many different avenues that we could go with this. And, and honestly, it's really hard for me to stay on point because I, I feel like I could ask both of you for advice constantly and, and still not learn everything. So uh, like I said, best of luck for 2021. Thank you for coming on the show. I really appreciate uh, not only you guys being guests on the podcast, but but your friendship and, and your support as well. Uh, just great, great people, great, great companies and, and uh, uh, think the world of you guys.
2: Thanks for all you do as well, Jay. You, uh, you, you, you make it, you put our industry out there and I appreciate that. Absolutely, 100%.
1: Tully, can we end on a God bless America? God bless America.